Part fifty four of the Chronicles of Crime, Volume One, by Camden Pelham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part fifty four Colonel Edward Marcus Despard, John Francis, John Wood, and others executed for high treason. The professed object of the plot in which these misguided men were engaged was neither more or less than the overthrow of the government and the destruction of the royal family. The men who were found guilty of being concerned in the project were Edward Marcus Despard, aged fifty, a colonel in the army, John Francis, a private soldier, aged twenty-three, John Wood, a private soldier, aged thirty-six, Thomas Broughton, a carpenter, aged twenty-six, James Sedgwick Ratton, a shoemaker, aged thirty-five, John McNamara, a carpenter, aged fifty, and Arthur Graham, a slater, aged fifty-three. Colonel Despard, the ill-starred leader of the conspirators, was descended from a very ancient and respectable family in the Queen's County in Ireland. He was the youngest of six brothers, all of whom, except the eldest, had served their country, either in the army or navy. In 1766 he entered the army as an ensign in the 5th Regiment, and he afterwards served in the same regiment as a lieutenant, and in the 79th he successively held rank as lieutenant, quartermaster, captain-lieutenant, and captain. From his superior officers he received many marks of approbation, particularly from General Calcraft of the 50th, General Meadows, and the Duke of Northumberland. He had been, for the last twenty years before his execution, detached from any particular corps, and entrusted with important offices. In 1779 he was appointed chief engineer to the San Juan expedition, and conducted himself so as to obtain distinguished praise. He also received the thanks of the Council and Assembly of Jamaica for the construction of public works there, and was, in consequence of these services, appointed by the Governor of Jamaica to be Commander-in-Chief of the island of Rattan and its dependencies, and of the troops there, and to rank as Lieutenant-Colonel and Field-Engineer, and he commanded as such on the Spanish Main in Rattan, and on the Mosquito Shore, and Bay of Honduras. After this, at Cape Gracias a Dois, he put himself at the head of the inhabitants, who voluntarily solicited him to take the command and retook from the Spaniards Black River, the principal settlement on the coast. For this service he received the thanks of the Governor, Council, and Assembly of Jamaica, and of the King himself. In 1783 he was promoted to the rank of Colonel. In 1784 he was appointed First Commissioner for settling and receiving the territory ceded to Britain by the sixth article of the Definitive Treaty of Peace with Spain, in 1783 and he so well discharged his duty as colonel that he was appointed superintendent of his majesty's affairs on the coast of honduras which office he held much to the advantage of the crown of england for he obtained from that of spain some very important privileges the clashing interests however of the inhabitants of this coast produced much discontent and the colonel was by a party of them accused of various misdemeanours to his majesty's ministers he now came home and demanded that his conduct should be investigated. But after two years' constant attendance on all the departments of government, he was at last told by the ministers that there was no charge against him worthy of notice, and that His Majesty had thought proper to abolish the office of superintendent at Honduras, otherwise he should have been reinstated in it. 
but he was then and on every occasion assured that his services should not be forgotten, but that they should in due time meet their reward. Irritated by continued disappointments, he began to vent his indignation in an unguarded manner, and thus rendering himself liable to suspicion, he was for a considerable time confined in cold Bathfield's prison, under the provisions of the Hapius Corpus Suspension Act, then recently passed. On his liberation, it was found that his passions were not cooled by the imprisonment which he had undergone, and inflamed against the government himself, he at length succeeded in gaining over to his views others whose causes of complaint were even more trivial than those of their leader. Their proceeding soon became so notorious that it was determined that the existence of the society which they had formed was no longer consistent with public safety, and in consequence of representations which were made, a search-warrant was issued, which was placed in the hands of the police for execution. A strong body of constables having assembled, they all proceeded to the Oakley Arms, Oakley Street, Lambeth, where they found and apprehended Colonel Despard, and about forty other persons assembled in a room together, the greater part of whom were men of indifferent character, and of low station in life. The prisoners were on the following day carried to Union Hall, to be examined by the magistrates sitting there and in the end Colonel Despard and thirty-two of his companions were committed to Horsemonger Lane Jail to await the final and determinate investigation of their cases before a jury. For the better and more effectual trial of the prisoners, a special commission was issued, by virtue of which they were arraigned on indictments which had been found against them on the 17th of February, 1803. The first case gone into was that of Despard, and the indictment having been read, the case for the prosecution was opened by the Attorney-General, and he stated that the prisoners had formed a society, the object of which was to overturn the government. His Majesty, having intended to meet his Parliament a week earlier than he actually did, namely on the 16th of January instead of on the 23rd, the society proposed on that day to carry out their plan, which was in the first instance to lay a restraint upon the King's person and to destroy him. They frequently attempted to seduce soldiers into their club, and on any of them being persuaded to join them, they administered false oaths to them, and gave them copies of the oath, in order that they might endeavour to make proselytes in their turn. Among others thus gained over was one Windsor, but soon after he had joined he became dissatisfied and gave information of the conspiracy to a Mr. Bonus, to whom he showed a copy of the oath, but by the advice of that gentleman he remained a member of the society, with the design of learning whether there were any persons of note among its members. On Friday, before the intended assassination of the King, a meeting was held, at which Broughton, the prisoner, prevailed upon two of the associates to go to the Flying Horse Newington, where they would meet with a nice man, and it turned out that the person so described was Colonel Despard. The witnesses were then examined, and after proof of the apprehension of the prisoners, as described already, had been given, and the printed papers which had been found, and which contained the form of the oath, etc., had been read, Thomas Windsor, the chief witness, was called. He deposed as to the manner in which he took the oath, the effect of which was to bind him to support the views of the society in opposition to the King and his government, and then proceeded to detail the plan which was proposed to be put into execution. Despard was the leader and director of the whole proceedings, and he recommended that the proposed attack should be made on that day when His Majesty went to open Parliament. 
The object was to seize the person of the king, and Despard declared that he had weighed the matter well, and that his heart was callous, and the king must be put to death. When the murder of his majesty had been effected, the mail-coaches were to be stopped, so as to convey information to the agents of the plotters in the country of what had occurred, and then a simultaneous rising was to take place. The witness was to be engaged as an active party in the proceedings of the conspirators, and he was desired by the prisoner to meet him on Tower Hill with some comrades, who were desirous of joining the society, to consider the best mode of surprising the tower and securing the arms. Accompanied by the prisoner Wood, therefore, and two other men, he went to the Tiger public-house, Tower Hill, where Despard soon joined them. The determination to destroy the reigning monarch was then again mentioned by Despard, and after a long discussion it was agreed that Wood, whose turn it would be to stand sentry in the park near the great gun, should fire into the king's carriage. Before this diabolical design, however, could be carried into execution, the parties to the plot were apprehended. Mr. Sergeant Best and Mr. Gurney, who were retained as counsel for Despard, severally addressed the jury on his behalf, contending that the testimony of Windsor was of such a character as to be entitled to no belief, and they then called Lord Nelson, Sir A. Clark, and Sir E. Nepine, all of whom bore testimony to the character of the prisoner as a zealous and gallant officer. Lord Ellenborough, however, having summed up the evidence, the jury returned a verdict of guilty, but earnestly recommended the prisoner to mercy on account of his previous good character and the services he had rendered to his country. The other prisoners were subsequently tried, and twelve of them convicted upon the same evidence, three of whom were recommended to mercy. The sentence was then pronounced upon them as traitors in the usual form, and on Saturday the 19th of February information was received that the warrant of execution authorising their being hanged on the Monday following, was made out. A portion of their sentence, namely, the taking out and burning of the bowels, being remitted. It was sent to the keeper of the new jail in the borough at six o'clock on Saturday evening, and included the names already given, three other prisoners, named Newman, Tyndall, and Lander, being respited. As soon as the warrant for execution was received, it was communicated to the unhappy persons by the keeper of the prison. When Colonel Despard observed that the time was short, yet he had not had, from the first, any strong expectation that the recommendation of the jury would be effectual. The mediation of Lord Nelson and a petition to the Crown were tried, but Colonel Despard was convinced, according to report, that they would be unavailing. Mrs. Despard, who was a native of the Bay of Honduras, was greatly affected when she first heard his fate was sealed but she afterwards recovered her fortitude, and bore up with great firmness at parting with her husband. The other prisoners bore their doom with equal fortitude, but conducted themselves with less solemnity than the colonel. Their wives were allowed to take a farewell of them on the same day, and the scene was truly distressing. At daylight on Sunday morning, the drop, scaffold, and gallows, on which they were to be executed, were erected on the top of the jail all the Bow Street patrol, and many other peace officers were on duty all day and night, and a large body of the military was drawn up close to it. On the following morning, Monday the 21st of February, 1803, at half-past six o'clock, the prison bell rang, the signal for unlocking the cells. At seven, Broughton, Francis, Graham, Wood, and Ratton went into the chapel with the Reverend Mr. Winkworth. 
they attended to the prayers with great earnestness but at the same time without seeming to lose that firmness which they had displayed since their trial before they received the sacrament four of them confessed they had done wrong but not to the extent charged against them by the evidence the fifth graham said that he was innocent of the charges brought against him but he admitted that he had attended two meetings the second at the instigation of francis for some time the clergyman refused to administer the sacrament to francis because he persisted in declaring that he had been guilty of no crime the clergyman said to him you admit you attended meetings he answered yes you knew they were for the purpose of overturning the constitution of the country i by no means wish you to enter into particulars i only wish you to acknowledge generally francis rejoined i admit i have done wrong in attending those meetings and the sacrament was then administered to him colonel despard and mcnamara were then brought down from their cells their irons knocked off and their arms bound with ropes on observing the sledge and apparatus the colonel smilingly cried out ha ha what nonsensical mummery is this when the awful procession began which was at half-past eight o'clock precisely mcnamara was the first that came out colonel despard was the last that appeared he stepped into the hurdle with much fortitude having an executioner on the right and on the left on the same seat with naked cutlasses he was thus conducted to the outer lodge whence he ascended the staircase leading to the place of execution the prisoners were preceded by the sheriff sir r ford the clergyman mr winkworth and the roman catholic clergyman mr griffith coffins or shells which had been previously placed in a room under the scaffold were then brought up and placed on the platform on which the drop was erected a bag of sawdust to catch the blood when the heads were severed from the bodies were placed beside them the block was near the scaffold there were about a hundred spectators on the platform among whom were some persons of distinction but the greatest order was observed mcnamara was the first on the platform and when the cord was placed round his neck he exclaimed lord jesus have mercy upon me o lord look down with pity upon me the populace were much struck by his appearance graham came second he looked pale and ghastly but spoke not ratton was third he ascended the scaffold with much firmness broughton who was the fourth joined in prayer with much earnestness wood was the fifth and francis the sixth they were all equally composed Colonel Despard ascended the scaffold with great firmness, and his countenance underwent not the slightest change, while the awful ceremony of fastening the rope around his neck and placing the cap on his head was performing. He even assisted the executioner in adjusting the rope, and looked at the multitude with perfect calmness. The clergyman who ascended the scaffold after the prisoners were tied up spoke to him a few words as he passed, and the colonel bowed and thanked him the ceremony of fastening the prisoners being finished the colonel advanced as near as he could to the edge of the scaffold and made the following speech to the multitude fellow-citizens i come here as you see after having served my country faithfully honourably and usefully served it for thirty years and upwards to suffer death upon a scaffold for a crime of which i protest i am not guilty i solemnly declare that i am no more guilty of it than any of you who may be now hearing me but though his majesty's ministers know as well as i do that i am not guilty yet they avail themselves of a legal pretext to destroy a man because he has been a friend to truth to liberty to justice there was a considerable huzzah from the part of the populace the nearest to him 
but who from the height of the scaffold from the ground could not for a certainty distinctly hear what he said the colonel proceeded because he has been a friend to the poor and distressed but citizens i hope and trust notwithstanding my fate and the fate of those who no doubt will soon follow me that the principles of freedom of humanity and of justice will finally triumph over falsehood tyranny and delusion and every principle hostile to the interests of the human race and now having said this i have little more to add the colonel's voice seemed to falter a little here he paused a moment as if he had meant to say something more but had forgotten it he then concluded in the following manner i have little more to add except to wish you all health happiness and freedom which i have endeavoured as far as was in my power to procure for you and for mankind in general the colonel generally spoke in a firm and audible tone of voice and left off sooner than was expected there was no public expression of feeling at the conclusion of his address as soon as he had ceased speaking the clergyman prayed with the other prisoners and after a few minutes he shook each by the hand the executioners then pulled the caps over the faces of the unhappy men and having quitted the scaffold the signal was immediately afterwards given and the drop fell the colonel had not one struggle twice he opened and shut his hands convulsively and he stirred no more mcnamara graham wood and ratton were motionless after a few struggles but broughton and francis were much convulsed for some time after their companions had ceased to live after they had hung for about half an hour and when they were quite dead they were cut down colonel despard was the first who was removed from the gallows his body was placed upon sawdust and his head upon a block and after his coat had been taken off his head was severed from his body by persons engaged on purpose to perform that ceremony the executioner then took the head by the hair and carrying it to the edge of the parapet on the right hand held it up to the view of the populace and exclaimed this is the head of a traitor edward marcus despard the same ceremony was performed on the parapet at the left hand there was some hooting and hissing when the colonel's head was exhibited his remains were now put into the shell that had been prepared for them the other prisoners were afterwards successively cut down their heads severed from their bodies and exhibited to the populace with the same exclamation of this is the head of another traitor and the bodies were put into their different shells and delivered to their friends for interment the crowd at the entrance of horsemonger lane was immense and as the time of execution drew near the people from all parts came with such force as to bear down all opposition those who had been in dry situations were pushed into the middle of the road where they stood almost up to the knees in mud and many lost their shoes by the continual pushing and jostling while the heads were exhibiting the populace took off their hats the execution was over by ten o'clock and the populace soon after dispersed quietly there was not the least tendency to riot or disturbance the precautions however taken by government were only such as were highly necessary and proper a sky-rocket was sent to the keeper of the prison to be let off as a signal to the military in case of any disturbance the body of colonel despard having lain at mount row opposite the asylum was taken away on the first of march by his friends with a hearse and three morning coaches and interred near the north door of st paul's cathedral st paul's churchyard the crowd was great but when the grave was covered in the people immediately and quietly dispersed the city marshal was present, lest there should be any disturbance on the occasion. End of part 54